0: Hey, Sandy. What's going on? Not a whole lot. Um, you know, my kids were in school for a day and then I got a cold. Um, and so I've been deal- <laughs> dealing with, oh, with that. No. And, and it's reminded me, yeah, and it's reminded me that, you know, these kinds of illnesses that we're forced to weather are kind of like our payment to exist in society. So I was trying not to hate it too, too much.
1: And just a cold, pretty sure?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've gone for a COVID test. And so listeners, you can find out later what happens. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's just been like literal congestion and um, and a runny nose. There's been no other uh, symptoms at all. So and it's run the course of the family. And everyone had the same kind of symptoms and the kids at school all seem to have it and friends are, are all coming down with it. And so I'm feeling like if it was COVID, I would have heard bad news from people already. Because contrary to what you may have heard we still live in a society <laughs> where people still talk to each other. So I'm banking on that society having uh, worked in this case.
1: But who knows? Who knows? I'll find out soon. Anyway, but you are melting right now, I hear. I am melting. I might, you know, like there is a chance that during the course of this recording, you will lose power because of course, when it gets so hot on the West coast, uh, it is very common to have blackouts. And so Mm -hmm. it is a sweltering 42 degrees out here. And, you know, we try not to have our AC on during the day because, uh, that makes everything worse. So yeah, I'm just, uh, melting, just melting climate change. It's, it is absolutely terrible.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. Uh okay. Um I I hope that we can cool you off with some
1: chatter. Chatter would be good. Uh the other thing that would be great is to hear how many people we have to thank this week. I'm sure that'll feel pretty cool. <laughs>
0: that'll warm you up. Or no, warm your warm your, your heart with some cooling action. Weird. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> what I came up with while I'm Yes, this week we have a lot of folks to thank. And, and so, again, every time someone changes their donation or donates for the first time, we like to shout them out. And, of course, if you can't donate to the podcast, uh, sharing it, sharing with your friends and family is uh, is really, really appreciated. And, and, you know, if we could shout everyone out that shared the podcast, we would totally do that. But this week we want to say thank you to Jane, Glenn, Rebecca, Amy, Christy, Matt, Clancy, Sharoni, Michelle, Jason... Andrew, Brian, Jen, Vicky, and Kelsey. Thank you
1: so, so much for your support. We really appreciate it. I have a question for you that I'm hoping you can answer for me because me and all of my Black family are very confused about this thing that white women seem to have a propensity to do. Oh, yes. I'm an expert in that. Are you? (laughs) I don't know. Because then we might have to change our relationship here. (laughs) But um, have you heard about, I mean, we're not talking about this on the podcast today, but I just, I have to mention it. This professor at uh, George Washington University, uh, professor of Africana Studies, who has been living a lie as a black woman um, for a very long time Jessica Krug also known as Jessica La Bumbalera. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Nora, why, 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 <laughs> why, why is this a thing?
0: Oh my God. I mean, maybe we should make this episode about this because we probably could talk about this for an hour. Um, uh <laughs> Why is this a thing? So
1: my only... Well, actually, maybe we should make it about this. Okay, well, let's see how it goes.
0: I saw all of this stuff unfold, and uh, I I actually get, like, I said this on Twitter. This is one of the few things that actually makes me get a stomach ache when someone is exposed as being an ethnic fraud. Uh, A white person is exposed for having claimed some sort of background that they do not have. And...
1: I don't know if you saw the videos of her talking, but (laughs) I've seen everything. I saw it all. I saw I saw all the things. Yes, I did see the video of her walking down the street attempting to put on a New York accent. The worst New York accent I could possibly imagine. I did see that. Yeah.
0: Yes. like I don't even know how many of those accents I've heard in my life like like real New York accents I probably can count on one hand like how many actual New Yorkers in my life I've met and I still can tell that, that was a fucking act it ah uh, that I, I uh, that was so uncomfortable and I think that it it really is an interesting uh look at the pathology of whiteness you know a lot of people talk about white people like to lay claim over, Um, I actually am not satisfied with that explanation for what happens in a situation where a white person decides to say, I'm black, or I'm indigenous, which is obviously something that we see quite a lot as well. Um, And then also then to look black, I mean, you wear like purple lipstick and big hoop earrings. I mean, what in the fuck is that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and apparently would uh, go to class wearing like leopard print um, leggings and crop tops uh, as like a performance of what she thought was blackness, which is like what what is going on there? What is this minstrel show of a life that you've decided to to lead? Uh, I find this extremely confusing. Because to me, I'm like, maybe maybe where this all begins is a kind of self-loathing and disgust at what whiteness means and wanting to get away from that as much as possible. And then some, somehow um, taking a really ridiculous U-turn into doing the most white thing one could do, which is to... <laughs> take over someone else's identity and mm. take all the opportunities for those people away from them uh, which is just about the whitest white thing ever yeah <laughs> I just i i like i i truly do not understand it i've had several conversations uh, in the last few days, trying to understand it, and there is nothing like i there's no explanation or um analysis that has felt satisfying in any way to me yeah
0: i like I cannot explain it either i don't i don't like i 've never encountered this in my 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 own life where I can have seen like the trajectory towards someone doing this, although now that i'm saying this, I am thinking of someone I went to elementary school with who <laughs> for a solid three grades tried to convince us she was a real witch. I
1: mean, that's not the same. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> <laughs> well, she really
0: thought that that was her identity, and she like, really tried to cast spells on us and couldn't because she wasn't a witch. But there's there. The, I think that this goes to the core of white identity. I mean, everything that you said, I, I think, is exactly right. Um, and in addition to that, that white identity is often... Um, because it's majority, it's also quite thin and absent of culture, Um, especially if you're disconnected from whatever culture you might come from. And so if you like find yourself in this, as she says she did some situation of trauma. And then she said that she tried to reinvent herself into all these different personalities. And then the ones that stuck was that she decided to make herself into a black person and then different kinds of Of blackness. I mean, she she had three, I think, different iterations of her background. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I don't I can't explain it at all. uh, Other than like, you know, she was like, I'm obviously mentally ill. It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Um, But what I found so interesting was that like her confession thing was really difficult to read. I I wasn't interested really in reading her explanation for this. A a lot of people have said that that only came out because she was trying to get ahead of this because she was found out. Like, I mean, she was found out. I mean, how could the how the fuck was she never found out before this? But okay, fine. Um, But that I I think, uh, yeah, this idea that 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 as a white person, like we often come from situations of like literally no culture at all, because you might grow up in a situation where your culture is omnipresent and it's bad and you identify that it's bad. And then rather than, you know, doing what you should do, which is to struggle inside communities to make it better. Uh, you run away from it and then like literally assume the identity of the person that you're oppressing. I mean, there must be some serial killers and shit that do this uh, in a very similar way with their victims. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but as you say, as you were saying that you don't know anyone who's done this before, I was thinking to myself that I don't know for sure anyone who's done this before, but I have had questions about people before in my mind. And I do know at least for sure, for a certain one person uh, who, I think at one point was considering um, labeling themselves as indigenous based off of a, a story that he had heard once from a great grandfather, perhaps um, about someone who may have been uh, in their family just for a moment who might have been indigenous and was like uh, toying with the fact of like letting everybody know that, you know, there's the likelihood that I am actually indigenous and was doing all this research to try to reinvent themselves in that way. And mm-hmm. I mean I I you know there's been some pretty high profile uh, cases of, as well of white people claiming indigenous identity as well. So, I mean, beyond the fact that it's like reprehensible, obviously, for all sorts of reasons, one uh, being that, well, fuck, you're lying about who you are. But uh, two being that um, often we find out about these cases because of these people taking opportunities away from black and indigenous people um, as a result of uh, identifying uh, falsely with that type of identity. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, there's questions there about how we define identity altogether and why it's difficult to ask people about what they claim about themselves. Mm, yes. That uh, so
0: when I said that I can't think of anyone who's done this, I can't think of anyone who's pretended to be black, who is white, uh-huh. which is, I mean, also a very... Um, bold (laughs) move. I mean, like, uh, you know, when you're, if you're white, it's pretty fucking obvious that you're white. Like, I don't know if you saw um, uh, Ms. Krug's
1: uh, salsa (laughs) classes. Dude, as someone who has taken salsa before, and I don't, look, (laughs) I don't, I do not consider myself especially talented at salsa, okay? But I do know that your hips are supposed to move. Along with your legs, <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: and so you know, you were you were talking about um, that you know, in in doing this act, she was taking away opportunity from Black scholars, and that's a really important part of this. But I think even worse, or maybe not even worse, but definitely bad, differently bad, is all of the relationships that she formed on on lies. And um, that, you know, there's a circle of scholars around her, probably had a network of friends. I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like to date this this individual. Um, that That's a whole bunch of people who have been betrayed and let down and all these kinds of things. But I definitely know folks whose indigenous claims have been questionable at best. Um, and often I saw this, as I imagine you saw this, um, in the student movement where there would be some sort of material mm-hmm. gain to claim that you have Indigenous identity. Although sometimes it was also because people like were like, that seems cool. Why can't I also be that? I have an, a great, great grandparent who may have been Indigenous. And even in those cases, they probably weren't. And, and certainly in Canada, that is... Uh, a huge problem. I mean, I think that the Krugs and the Dolazars of the world are. I mean, they're Dolezals. so. Do, what was yeah? What the fuck was her name?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Dolazal, Yeah, <laughs>
0: right. I think that they're they're like really audacious in their lies, and so there's a, a lot of interest in these cases. But in Canada, I mean you know, if you follow the work of someone like Daryl LaRue, who's a scholar and academic um, out in Nova Scotia, like his work has managed to, to kind of take apart the Indigenous claims of so many people in this country who, through their, um, you know, fake indigeneity, have managed to get themselves into positions of, of power or access to resources or whatever. And I think that it's not a coincidence that you'll see that more in Canada than you will see people claiming to be black. Although fuck, maybe there's tons of people claiming to be black somewhere and I'm, you know, they just haven't been, you know, found out. So, you know, we'll see, I guess.
1: I mean, well, part of, part of that though, just to, just to, um, address that little piece is like part of that is that, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's audacious, but not really. I mean, part of the, the issue there that, um, is, uh, beginning to be spoken about a little bit online is the way that white supremacy works to privilege certain types of phenotypically presenting black people over others. Uh, folks who are lighter skinned and look closer to white generally, um, are able to access, uh, more, uh, privileges in this society than folks who are darker skinned and don't have a proximity to whiteness based off of their phenotype. And so what those people are doing are capitalizing on the way that white supremacy operates um, within blackness, which is hella complicated, obviously, uh, but fuck, we shouldn't run away from the truth. That's what's happening.
0: And a lot of people have identified that that's exactly how um, this this professor was able to get away with it. Even though when you look at her, you're like that woman is fucking white. I mean, <laughs> there's she's really not mm-hmm. close to black mm-hmm. at all. But um, you know, white people need to be thinking about this and thinking about how we, what what role we play in privileging certain kinds of lighter black people in certain positions of power and how a lot of white supremacy exists on um on really like a scale which is such a ridiculous like if you think about it in this way it's like how the hell does our system operate on this but but really white supremacy really does categorize you know the shades of blackness now what i was saying earlier like related to uh, to to Canada and indigeneity and white people and the relationship between the two. I mean, I think that that it's more common in Canada for a couple of reasons, and one of those reasons being like colonialism is still so uh, present and is still so ongoing, and violence is still so present and continuing to be committed by white supremacy, by 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 politicians, by the you know business establishment, and individually by white people and so one easy way to absolve your sins if you're a white person and you're and you're feeling guilty about this stuff is to be like well i can't be anti-indigenous because i actually am indigenous i've just found out or i have a tenuous claim or i mean you know, there's a lot of folks who are still reeling from news about Gwen Benaway, who uh, claimed to be Indigenous, is a is a poet and a writer, and and uh, and she claimed to be Indigenous for many many years, and was found out, and you know has gone radio silence since this, um, since this finding out or this this reckoning happened. But um, you know, recently in the Winnipeg Free Press. Um, Canada's best columnist, uh, one of Canada's like officially best columnist, Negan Sinclair, was writing about exactly this, about how structures need to be able to interrogate people's claims of indigeneity because it keeps happening that people are just given the benefit of of the doubt. White people are given the benefit of the doubt and they're able to win awards or they're able to get positions. And... This, I think, is really, really important for white people to grapple with and how we enable this and how we're uncomfortable to like ask these kinds of questions or to because you don't want to police someone's identity either. And so what is that balance between not policing identity, but also like making sure that someone's claims are legitimate and they're not able to just, you know, use a system that has been built to try and mitigate some of the oppressions that white supremacy has has woven into it. And it's a, I mean, it's a real, real Canadian problem, I think. Um, when you look at, at Daryl's research, I mean, there's just like names and names of names of people who are in really high profile positions whose claims to indigeneity like just vanish under, under a little bit of scrutiny.
1: Yeah, I think present here also as a problem is uh, a, a conversation that I think ha- has made people uncomfortable and perhaps this is why people have shied away from having it. Uh, but I, I do think we need to have it. And that's a conversation about the limits of the politics of identity. I think, uh, the politics of identity are really important. We need to understand them and we need to also understand that there is uh, a type of, uh, Knowledge that comes from lived experience that should be um, respected and privileged in uh, in discussions about uh, racism or colonization or uh, other types of oppression uh, that people might experience, but there is a limit uh, to that, and it's just one piece of the story. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I think that we lack nuance in discussions about the myriad of things that can come together to create an argument and i think that sometimes people rely a little bit too much on the politics of identity and lived experience as as a you know like the the final boss in the discussion mm. <laughs> of of an issue like anti-blackness or an issue like um, uh, patriarchy. And it. I, I think that that is dangerous. And I think that we have to move beyond that and not be afraid to discuss that it can be true that the politics of identity are of utmost importance, but it can also be true that the politics of identity can't be the only thing that we rely on as... Uh, a bringer of expertise uh, in a discussion about oppression. I'm so
0: glad that you raised that because one of the things that I was thinking of when I was reading Jessica Krug's um, Medium post for Meal Culpa was how in sections of it she had perfected the language of the politics of identity. And if you had just pulled out sections of it from like the context, it still reads as an extremely progressive person's analysis about whatever. And she was so able to, to cloak herself in like the benefit of the doubt that is given when you just assume, okay, well, I mean, this person's identity has like means certain things, and then therefore the position that they hold, you know, maybe we can't question it, or maybe we can't question it in a certain way. I, you know, I think that the this ball becomes a problem when it's still white people making the decisions, because white people cannot. Like ask these questions, like cannot navigate some of these difficult conversations, because at the end of the day, you know a lot of white people are not in the positions that they have because of merit. They're not in the positions that they have because they should be evaluating who gets this job or who gets this post, who gets this scholarship or who or whatever. And because there is not a diversity of of identities in decision making powers, we've we've outsourced a lot of that to. That that question of the identity of of, the, of the, the the politics of the identity of the person in question, and that's a really big problem because it it allows us white people to skirt these discussions, and in skirting these discussions allows for people to, uh you know it's either to figure out how to play the system in the way that the dolazals and the fucking uh, krugs have, uh, or of anyone who's assumed um indigenous identity, and. At the at the result of you know hurting a lot of people along the way. I mean, it's it's like like these theories emerged in the nineteen nineties in a in a in a time where where white whiteness, white women, you can talk about the feminist movement because this is really where the, the discussions were, were quite rooted in the feminist movement, who saw womanhood as being like the most important identity uh, in terms of systemic oppression. And so if you're not a man, you are systemically oppressed by the state or by patriarchy or whatever. And then all of a sudden we were able to start talking about how multiple identities meant that there was different kinds of oppression that exists within society. And, I, and, you know, we've gotten to a place now where most people are not going to argue that, like argue against that. Most people will accept that and say, well, of course, if you have multiple identities that are oppressed, you are going to experience multiple or different kinds or more profound versions of oppression within the white supremacist capitalist society. OK, but getting further in that discussion has seemed to have been stalled in the last couple of years. I mean, is that the right way to maybe think about this? I
1: think maybe, and I, you know, like, it's it's curious, because in this discussion, I feel like we're asking more questions to one another than we typically do in a discussion. But I think part of the part of the reason for that is because, yeah, the discussion has been stalled. And this type of discussion isn't happening in a lot of places. And that is a problem. It's not good enough. Right now, to and perhaps it never was um to to simply acknowledge that you know um there's a type of uh experience that is going to give us a certain type of knowledge i mean uh, here 2020 that that feels really obvious you know like i Sandy Hudson. I mean, I have a different black experience than Tracy Ellis Ross, daughter of Diana Ross, who uh, is very, very light skinned and wealthy. You know, like that's that is like not in dispute. We are both going to be able to say things about the black experience. um, But our experience of blackness is not going to be the same. And then furthermore, I study anti blackness. I Struggle against anti-blackness uh, in my life, and uh, have committed myself and my livelihood to these things. She may have done some of those things. I don't know. I don't know anything about her really, besides the fact that she's kind of fun. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know anything about her. She may have done some of those things, but probably not to the extent that I have. So, does it make sense in some sort of argument or conversation um, to say? You know, if if Tracy Ellis Ross is talking to somebody else, say, well, Tracy Ellis Ross has the black experience, so you can't tell her about this, that, the other. I don't know. It gives her uh, some knowledge that you otherwise could not have as a result of not being a black woman, but it does not make her the ultimate arbiter on anything that we could be discussing with respect to anti-blackness or other types of oppression and the way that they intersect and interlock in our society. And nor does it give me that to just, just because I'm a student uh, and have been studied, like the giantest nerd who's been studying these things for years, doesn't give me that either. It just gives us a certain uh, location to be having these discussions from. And that's how it informs those discussions. But I don't think we do... A good enough job at recognizing that um, right now uh, in, in just like the culture of social justice and having these types of arguments and discussions and writings, I just don't think we do. But but I think it's, it's, and I'm
0: sure you agree, it goes back to this question about who is making these calls. And it goes back to, like, who looked at Jessica Krug and hired her and then gave her tenure and was like, yes, this woman is authentic. I, I would imagine it was mostly white people yes. <laughs> looking at her
1: and saying that. yes. And but also I think it's beyond that. I, I imagine that yes, it's mostly white people. I do know, and there have been some, dis- has been some discussion online of people who were black who were happy to be next to her and um, supporting her work because they were also duped, or because maybe they they um, felt uncomfortable talking about someone's identity and uh, policing someone's identity. I don't know, but I do think that part mm-hmm. of this is also a extension of the really obviously shit politic of uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, circa twenty. 20- what, 14, 15, I can't remember, Um, saying, you know, uh, they're all women. This is now a feminist cabinet, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or they're half women. This is now a feminist cabinet. Like these representational politics that don't um, make any sense. That's not exactly what's happening here. But I do think it's along the same sort of logic.
0: Mm hmm. mm -hmm. Well, when when I ask that question, what I'm thinking of is like, it seems to me that intersectionality was a really important confrontation to white supremacy. Like that's how it that's Mm -hmm. where it came out of. That's that's its reason to exist. And because white supremacy is so clever and so able to confuse and disorient that today it seems like actually it's being used to do exactly that, to confuse and to disorient and to police and to decide who gets promoted and who doesn't. And of course it involves everyone in society who might have proximity to a decision-making position or point of view or whatever, but that, you know, like, what's that classic saying that that the worst thing about racism is, it, not the worst thing, but one of the, the ways that racism continues to exist is that it confuses people. Like, this is the ultimate way that people are confused. And then it becomes personal. And then you don't want to feel someone, you don't want to be attacked. You, want to, you don't want to see someone attacked. You want to trust people. You don't want to assume that they're literally lying about everything in their life. I mean, you know, you can think about this case individually and how often you may have had a situation in your life where someone exposed themselves in some way to you. Like, I mean, not like that, <laughs> but whoa. you know, that they, that they may have been like lying to you, like in a really profound way. I've only had that happen to me a couple of times and you just are like, not possible. Deny, deny, deny. Like they, it just can't be that as bad as it is. And then you realize like, whoa, they were fully living a lie. That was so wild. Right. Mm-hmm. So, And maybe we both have the same experience. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I've I've had that experience more times uh, than I care to admit. (laughs) One day I will write a memoir about it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right, and so these are complex and they and there's sometimes if you told the story it'd be salacious, right? And so like the 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 and you know fuck like Elizabeth Warren fits into this. Yeah, <laughs> um that's right. there's really high profile people that fit into this narrative, but when you take it back and look more at at how that the the the, the politics of identity have been so captured by white supremacy, then you start getting to a situation where you can actually understand why it has become so confused and why the far right is now using a lot of the same language or why it's really hard for us to disentangle um, what you were talking about like you know tokenism versus like actually people's academic experience or lived experience or their political analysis or whatever the fuck it's all meant to confuse us And it's also meant to allow people to just kind of obscure over everything. Right. So you can see that, obviously, with Justin Trudeau. You can see the Conservative Party doing that now um, more and more with Leslyn Lewis, like as she's going to probably rise in prominence within the party because of her popularity. Mm -hmm. And um, and there are a lot of examples of this, of course, across society where. Uh, you know, you'll say, well, like that, that person's just a token or it's just tokenistic. It's like, OK, but what exactly is happening here? It's not just that they're a token, let's say, but in a lot of cases, it's someone who's saying something that, that white supremacy really, really, really wants maintained. And they think that it's harder to critique this person because the politics of identity become so strong. And so it's there that you see actually they're being used in a way that maintains and entrenches white supremacy.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that that is, uh, really interesting to, you know, like it's, it always goes back, comes back to who holds the power. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we've said this so many times on the show, right. It always comes back to who holds the power. And the fact that white supremacy is ultimately making the decisions about, uh, who's, de- whose uh, opinions matter and who's going to be put in positions of power, um, uh, it's all implicated in in the way that an issue like this plays out. I, I have two things, two other i thoughts in my mind about this. One is, gosh, that letter. I also found it her medium article. I found it. I could not read to the end. I think I read to the point where she called herself a culture leech. and I, <laughs> yeah. I like, She's like, I'm not a culture vulture. I'm a culture leech. And I think I probably threw my phone across the room. <laughs> I was just like, I'm done with this. Um, but I do think, like, you know, uh, what a disingenuous piece of shit fucking apology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? It didn't come with anything that was like, I'm going to resign now <laughs> or here's what I think I should do in order to, to make things right. You are totally right in identifying that she employs the language of social justice so expertly to try to still um portray herself as uh, this moral being Mm -hmm. even as she's admitting this thing the second thought that i have is why do you think that these cases become such massive flashpoints you know whether it's um the cases of uh uh, indigenous folks in Canada. Some have been uh, far more widely publicized than others. Uh, Elizabeth Warren as well, or the, you know, the Rachel Dolezal and the fucking Jessica L- Krug, or whatever the fuck. Why do they hit such an inflection point in our collective consciousness? Oh, I, I I said this
0: earlier. I think it's because it's salacious. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like the story of you know the first time you ever heard that the this couple that you like have known for your whole life, the the man actually has a whole separate family with kids and everything, and they only found out on the deathbed of the of the man. You know, you know what that's like. Uh, I mean,
1: sure. <laughs> or is that white people stuff? <laughs> I <laughs> like... don't personally know what that's like. No, uh, that doesn't. But yeah, okay. But I think I've probably read something like that before.
0: I, I mean, I may have, I may have heard that happening to people that I know. Okay, wow. and um, you like can't believe it, right? Yeah, I'll, uh, I can tell you off uh, when we're finished <laughs> about that whole story uh, in in complete um glory, and you just cannot believe, cannot believe that it happened, right? You're like that is. Unbelievable, And so I think that there's an element of that. How how in the fuck do you construct an identity that is not who you are and you live it for so long and then all of a sudden comes crashing down? Now, as we've already said, a lot of people have done that in Canada with indigenous identity and their lives not only didn't come crashing down, but they're still actually holding the positions of power that they have. I think there's also, I mean, there's an obsession in the United States with this kind of thing because it's so... Breaks that black, white barrier. It's someone who's white who's trying to be oppressed rather than the than the vice versa. and um and the, so there's this obsession around identity in a way that I think uh, i I mean I, I would have to see what would happen in Canada if there was a similar kind of situation. but It it really does hold all of the issues of the United States all together, like, you know, race relations and salaciousness and and, and, and audacious kind of living or whatever the fuck. Um, You know, but you can look at Canada where there have been really high-profile situations like this, and I think Joseph Boyden is probably one of the highest-profile people that that's happened to. Um, And he was high-profile because, of course, he hurt a lot of people. He had received a lot of awards. Things came crashing down in a lot of different ways. So... I mean, I, there's all that. I mean, the, the, the also the very simple way to respond to that is it's also um, just an easy race story that white media, white journalists can kind of like make fun of and not feel too
1: like implicated in because they would never do that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's like, it's funny, sure, but it's also so awful at the same time like because there's real there it's sad it's gross and there are real implications like um she she is in a department where she is connected to probably i mean how many students would have had interactions with her who are um you know questioning um their academic um, careers right now who maybe had her as a supervisor and have since moved on and they're you know trying to uh, get their get their next writing or their next journal published and now are going to be forever attached to her in one of their writings, you know, like this is, you know, it has serious implications. Um, so, you know, it's not I mean, it's it's awful. It's weird. It's, you know, funny in some ways. But it's just like like the implications for people. They're a lot.
0: Yeah, I saw one of her students say something like, um, I'm shocked. This is unbelievable. And I don't understand why she did it because she's obviously very smart and probably could have had a career like as a white scholar. And I think that that's a really important kind of thing to, to think through. Right. It's like if you are a white person and you're like, how do I support racial justice you know, there's a, there's, you can, you can do it. Of course, you can do it. There's lots of important ways that you can do it. You can write books, you can collaborate, you can become an activist, you can become whatever the fuck. You don't have to assume the person's identity that you're trying to work alongside or struggle with. And I think that that, that's where it gets very, very bizarre and strange. And then you kind of start like pathologizing or wondering what could be up with the individual. But, you know, I think that this episode pretty much shows that. It isn't about the individual, it's about the lie that and the, and then the 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 impact that that lie has and and why people would go to such kind of extreme lengths to live out that lie and it is because they're trying to get access to power, they're trying to absolve the 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 sins that we all have as white people. And you know, I mean if you're listening to this and you're white, like all I can say is, you know, one of the things that 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 Negan Sinclair wrote in his in his piece was like, you know, there's a common adage that it's like it's not about who you claim within a lot of indigenous communities. It's about who claims you, right? What connections do you have to mm-hmm. kinship, to to relationships, mm-hmm. to friendships, and to all this stuff? And I think that that is, I mean, that's how we all really should live anyway. That's a really important way to live because it reminds us that our relationships are, they uh, they they are you know two way streets or they are like living organisms that we have to nourish and we have to work together in good faith and 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 with with good intention all the time rather than looking at other people and saying to ourselves how can we take how can we take how can we assume how can we steal how can we hurt how can we do uh, do damage on or or, or violence to. And I think a lot of white people are really trapped in a mentality where they just can't see a way to be like normal and good (laughs) with people that they don't have relationships with yet. And that's that's the foundation of organizing. That's the foundation of building and and having friendships and having relationships that then can grow into struggle together.
1: There's something that you said that I just want to add the flip side to you said you know, as a white person, you know, wanting to work on these issues, uh, whether you're Jessica Krug being a talented academic, um, but not black, like, yeah, you don't have to assume the identity to be an academic who studies anti-blackness, you know what I mean? Um, But the flip side is also that You don't have to extract yourself from everything, like to just be like, I'm just not going to touch racism at all. I'm just going to be over here pretty quiet um, and uh, tweet my support uh, for all of the anti-racist stuff. And that's the safer place to be. It's like, look, the flip side is you white folks are going to be uncomfortable when you engage in anti-racist work at some point, it's likely that someone is going to interrogate why the fuck you're there. And if that's all you have to deal with in the fight against anti-racism or in the fight against racism and the fight against anti-blackness, consider yourself lucky. It's like none of this stuff is easy for anyone. And if you're entering this type of work expecting to feel a a level of ease and comfort, then you are entering this work with the wrong expectations. People are going to interrogate what your motivations are. And your motivations deserve to be interrogated because you should know what your motivations are. And you should be able to answer those questions. You are very likely going to fuck something up. And someone if someone tells you when they fuck something up, like you should thank them when you fuck something up. You should thank them that they are um, they find you valuable enough to um, to be honest with you instead of just telling everybody, fuck that person. Let's just ostracize them and get the fuck out of here. It's going to be tough. We don't have everything figured out and white folks definitely don't have everything figured out. Um, But it is important for white folks to be working on um, issues of anti-blackness and anti-racism. It is absolutely crucial to the success of overthrowing white supremacy. And so you can't just in comfort say, well, I'm not going to be Rachel Dolezal and I'm not going to be Jessica Krug. But I'm also not ever going to engage in any sort of discussion ever or find myself in these spaces where I could be interrogated. That's also fucked up. Don't do either of those things. At the close of this episode, I just want to say two quick things. Let people know about two quick things that are happening. One, a few weeks ago, we talked about a... Um, an event that was being put on by the Toronto Public Library that was ultimately cancelled because the panelists, of which I am one, uh, refused to do an event with the Toronto Public Library because they had hosted transphobe, Turf Megan Murphy in their space. Well, the union that represents uh, the workers of the Toronto Public Library, QP4948, has taken on um, having an event with activists about online organizing. Um, and the union uh, is also working very hard to get uh, the Toronto Public Library to end their transphobia. And so the panelists have agreed to do an event with the union. And so that is happening uh, this week on the on September 10th um, at some somewhere on some Zoom link near you, so you can uh, look that up online. <laughs> and then the other thing that I wanted to let folks know is last week I think we were discussing very briefly the strike action that the players of the NBA took and how other sectors should be doing something like that um, in support of Black Lives. And I mean, fuck this week, it was you know Dijon Kizzy was shot. Uh, over 20 times for a uh, bike code violation in uh, Los Angeles. Um, there's the news of uh, Daniel Prude, who was uh, suffocated uh, to death in Rochester. Um, and then the, the news of Dion Kaye, who is uh, a protester who was shot uh, by DC police. And then in in Canada, in Brandon, a black man was beaten and stabbed by a group of five people. Um, in in Manitoba. And so all of these things have happened this week. It's been a really tough week for black folks. And scholars have announced that they are doing a scholar strike on September 9th and September 10th. So if you're a student or a faculty member, uh, please consider drawing your labor on the 9th and 10th. And in Canada, there's a, a group of scholars who are organizing a set of teach for that day and so you can find out more about that on at scholarstrike.ca